Welcome to Elements of Community, a podcast about discovering and exploring the elements of community. I am Lucas Root, and each week we talk with a community leader about what makes their community thrive and bring value to both the leaders and the members. Join me as we unpack the magic of the elements of community. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to have you on the show and to talk about community with you. Um, would you like to tell our, our audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah. I'll try to keep it brief, but I was a research biochemist in my my past, past life. Uh, had a really significant health crisis. Uh, I developed a flavor of ulcerative colitis bad enough that I was facing uh, bowel resection, uh, immunosuppressant drugs. Um, I'm five foot nine, 165 pounds. Uh, at the time that this was going on, I was still five foot nine, but I got down to a low ebb of uh, 125, 130 pounds. So if you could imagine Ooh. 30 pounds less of me, you know, I'm not a big guy. So um, I, I was in pretty pretty rough condition. And it's a, it's a long story how I, I came to this idea of ancestral eating potentially being a, a route to fixing this. But I, I was sick enough and desperate enough that um, no idea seemed too, too crazy to give it a shot. And so this was 23 years ago when I, I embarked on what, what most people now would call kind of a lower carb paleo type diet. And for me, it saved my life. And it, it's been, you know, 23 years since then of iterating on that process, uh, continuing to tinker with it. I, I have consistently been the most difficult person that I've ever worked with. And so I think that that's what has <laughs> kept me in the fight. It, it, in large part is, is still trying to improve my health and, and just, you know, feel as, as good as I can um, although, it, it, and we are going to be talking a lot about community, I think also a big part of what has kept me relevant in this story is um, helping some folks to maybe look at the world through this kind of evolutionary biology lens. And then when they go out and start consuming material that's that's out in the interweb, social media, books, podcasts, and whatnot, when they come back and ask me questions, like it's kind of like having several thousand research assistance because no one person can stay <laughs> on top of everything. Nice. But if you have some really smart people that that trust you and you trust them and they're they're earnestly trying to figure out the world, like you'll have people find some things and like, hey, Rob, you were talking about things in this term. And so now I see someone talking about this way. What are your thoughts on that? And so I've I think I've I've been able to stay reasonably relevant over the the course of time. And although I that thread of ancestral you know, health has, has been kind of the, the main continuity in my career over the past 23 years. Um, you know, I've been able to grow and adapt and change. I, I went on to co-found the first and fourth CrossFit affiliate gyms in the world. So, was, you know, was literally right at the, the ground floor, floor of CrossFit growing and emerging, the paleo diet concept growing, emerging and whatnot. So I, I've definitely been at, at the beginning of a lot of these, these, um, 
social, you know, uh, uh, changes that, that have occurred, especially in the health and wellness space. More recently, uh, writing and talking about regenerative agriculture, trying to, trying to look at the uh, health, environmental, and ethical considerations of a meat-inclusive food system. That's the, uh, the book and film Sacred Cow that I worked on most recently. A book which I bought. Awesome. <laughs> um, the, the audience doesn't know this, but I actually, in fact, until this instant, you don't know this. I owe you um, some degree of thanks for the idea of community because um, I, I was an early follower of paleo as well. And the ancestral approach has changed the way that I think about what um, the human grouping structure should look like and should feel like and how that um, interaction might be uh, changed different um, in modern society or civilization and how it might look differently if we really had a clear understanding of what that sort of ancestral human grouping could be. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so thank you very much for that because you've, you've created that thought process within me in, in, you know, in our early interactions, um, one-way communication, you know, you publishing a book and me reading it. Right. Well, awesome. That that's amazing. It, it's uh, it, there's never something more gratifying than to hear that uh, one's work has benefited someone, or in particular, uh, been a seed crystal for causing more creative uh, expansion in an area. So that's awesome to hear. Yeah. So so thank you. Um, and and uh, in addition to that, of course, I this is the first time my audience is hearing directly, but I also am paleo. I, I eat an ancestral diet, um, or at least as reasonably close as um, can be done with our modern society and right. modern food. I had a, um, we're, we're going a little bit off on a tangent, which is okay, because this is a conversation. I had a conversation with my father um, uh, 30 years ago, uh, where we were talking about cows. And, you know, at, at the time, it hadn't sort of settled in in terms of, of what this means and, and how this plays out in the world. But he said, the cow uh, that you know doesn't exist in nature. Um, and in fact, there isn't really a relative of the cow in nature. It's completely gone. That animal has gone extinct. Um, the only version of that animal that exists in the world is a version that we have um, cultivated throughout our history with that animal. And it, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship and perhaps that animal would have survived without humanity, but perhaps not. Mm -hmm. um, Interesting observation. A lot of the domestic process. animals are like that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah chickens, uh, mm -hmm. an, a, another one, a, a, a piece of this thought process about the way that humans exist in the world um, as an animal and what our sort of optimal grouping structure kind of looks like and the interactions of that. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about what an optimal farm looks like and why did we arrive at the farm that we did? Um, and, uh, and it's interesting that each and every animal has at least two roles. So now that makes me wonder back to community, does each and every member of a community have at least two roles? And this is a rhetorical question. i I haven't even spent much time thinking about this. <laughs> and I've um, spent but, no time thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> none at all. Yeah. Um, but would you like to tell us a little bit about the community that we want to talk about today? 
Yeah, you know, and uh, you mentioned that we could talk about a couple different angles on this, but it it, it actually when you you may find this interesting because you you detailed like a, a list of five characteristics of what constitutes a, a community, and so it, we have this healthy rebellion community, which is an online kind of interaction. It's like uh, an old style for where people meet online. It's like an old style forum had a not great baby with. Um, uh, a blog and Facebook, you know, the user interface is okay, but not great. And, but it, it allows us to, to do the things that we, we do. And it, an interesting feature of that is, uh, you had mentioned that, um, like if there's a one way exchange, you know, people paying into that, that it's not really a community and it's, it, it it's interesting. I'm actually throwing this out there for, for you to maybe noodle on or comment for, for the last two years, this has been a paid community and literally as of, we haven't even announced this yet, it, it, it broadly to that group, I won't call it a community yet, but it's not going to be paid going forward. It's actually going to be a, oh. a free but closed bubble where people who want to be added to it will be, basically they need to be um, sponsored in. Somebody needs to know them and needs to kind of say, hey, this is why I think this person, you know, would, would be a good fit for this, this scene and whatnot. And there's a whole host of reasons that went into wanting to do this, but some of it is, I, I think it has had a great self-organizational element to it thus far, where I kind of provided some initial stewardship, but then people have gone on to really help grow and, and develop the dynamicism there. And I've kind of wanted more of that is, is one of the, the pieces for this change, but it, it's interesting. Maybe we, we do now, um, this is functioning now is that folks need to be sponsored in and, and, uh, almost kind of an application type format, because if there was one good element that we noticed with the, the, the paid subscription model, it, it really introduced a good amount of civility. Like if people were even paying a very nominal amount, just the, um, and we didn't really allow anonymity, but there, there was a civility there and a, a commitment to actually being kind and considerate. And we've had some, you know, especially over the you know, the last two years with COVID and all kinds of different things, we've had some very spicy uh, debates and, you, you know, different feelings on a host of topics. I but do love a spicy it, debate. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. It, it, but it, um, the civility has generally been there. Like, uh, I, I think we only had to warn and then ultimately remove two people in the span of two years, which I, I think is amazing, you know, just absolutely amazing. So I thought that you might find that interesting, you know, within the, because we have historically been calling this thing a community, but for a host of reasons, just in my gut, I, I felt like this paid model, I wanted to modify it and, and change it so that it, uh, uh basically ever, everybody, including myself will now be chipping in this super nominal fee just to keep the lights on, you know, for the ability for us to meet in this virtual place. But then people are getting together in real life, doing uh, events ranging from like hunting trips to learning how to can to, uh, you know, beginning doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So this has played an interesting role as a, a hub um, I know I'm jabbering kind of inanely here, but historically I've seen social media being somewhat to 
real community what junk food is to real food. It's kind of, it kind of satisfies you, but not really. And maybe what we've been doing hasn't been quite junk food, but maybe, maybe it's like uh, doomsday bunker rations or something <laughs> like it keeps you, keeps you fed and alive. But it, you know, um, but it, it is interesting that in many, many circumstances, the, the just virtual meeting has gone on to facilitating people meeting in real life and, and having some pretty significant interaction. So I, I, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that. Like, what, how does that fit within your, your, uh, your thoughts around community and whatnot? That's amazing. Um, so what, what springs to mind are a couple of different things. Um, uh, people have asked me a bunch of different times whether or not platform itself needs to be an element. And, and so far, I, I continue to say, no, I don't believe that platform needs to be an element. Here's an example of why. Um, the, uh, the hacker group that calls itself anonymous, from the outside, without spending really serious time thinking about it, I think that they are a good example of a community. They, they clearly have an, an internal, unique, common language. Um, they have a purpose you know, to, to expose things that people are trying to hide that should be visible to the, to the world. Right. Um, they do engage in projects. They do things together. They go hack companies, they go hack governments like that. They do engage in projects. Um, there seems to be value, right? The, the value of being a member of that, um, hacker group, uh, and then there's the value that they provide to the world. There seems to be value. Um, and, uh, last I checked, not very many of them have been unmasked. So it seems to me like that, that common heart, the Philotimo actually is in place. The, the people consider that mm -hmm. the honor within the group is a very important piece of that. I, I think that they're a great example. The hacker group anonymous are a great example of a community, um, that exists completely virtually and they actually are a community. I think mm -hmm. from the outside. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I think I think I continue to maintain, and of course, I am absolutely open to to being challenged on this and and welcome it. I continue to maintain that platform does not need to be an element. So, there are online communities that that are true communities. There are in person communities that are true communities. It sounds to me like the Healthy Rebellion um, could be a true community. It sounds like there's there are projects people are engaging in really deep, passionate, mm -hmm. spirited debates. Um, I, I, I have a coach uh, and my coach likes to say, it's a story of his, he likes to say, the season doesn't start until someone gets into a fight. It's a, it's a sort of like, it's an old um, high school metaphor. Right, like, right. Yeah. If, if you haven't gotten into a fight, people aren't passionate, people aren't real, they're not in it. And I look at that and I say that it's, it sounds to me like that's actually a kickoff project. Like that's a piece of the kickoff project. People, someone getting into a fight. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not glorifying or advocating for a fight, but that's when you know people are really getting passionate about what they're doing. And the passion of the community coming together is starting to be real. And if that's happening inside the Healthy right. Rebellion, I think that's I think that may be a real community. Um, well, it's interesting. And, and again, we've historically called it a community. And I, I found it really interesting, you know, the uh, 
kind of the the financial caveat that you had on that that if it's a one way road that maybe it's not a not a community and so it, 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 I just find it interesting that I feel like for the health of whatever it is that that thing mm-hmm. is whether it's community or or other that this um, unpaid but still a high barrier of entry to to be part of it. Um, it, it seemed like a, a healthy evolution for it to go into. Yeah. Yeah. I, I support you. Um, a community could be paid as the, the question is whether or not the member on my right and the member on my left are getting benefit from me showing up, not just, not just, mm. um, the, the leader of the community, but the member on my right and my left, are they getting benefit? This is the Philo team. Are they getting benefit from me showing up? Do they notice when I'm not there and do they care? Do they actually care when I'm not there? Well, that, that is interesting because we, uh, 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 routinely, so we would have group chats, uh, just kind of randomly, but at least one, a one a week. Mm-hmm. And inevitably we, we would hit a point where it's like, Hey, so where are the MIA folks? And it's like, Oh, boom, boom, boom. We'd have a list. Okay. Who's going to reach out to them and find out what's going on. And not infrequently, we would find out somebody had a heart attack. Somebody's family member, you know, was ill and they were kind of off, off grid and, and stuff like that. And so it, it, and that was another, um, self-organized piece to this Mm -hmm. thing that, that, uh, and you also have a lot of people, this is a fascinating thing also, like, uh, you have people like my wife who she never interacts with anybody on anything. She, she's a lurker, but she definitely gets, I think benefit from it because, you know, she learns things and she, Oh, this thing was funny or this was interesting or whatever, but also she's not really contributing. So I, I, you know, this is a a fascinating piece with that where I don't know that she is directly or people like her directly benefiting the other people there, but she's certainly seems to benefit from it. Like she chooses in these folks choose to allocate time to this thing and keep coming back and have continued to pay subscription and, you know, stuff like that. So it's really fascinating. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. When you just out of curiosity, when somebody reaches out and they find out that there was a family member or something, did the group get together? Maybe the community, did the community get together and um, you know, send over some casserole or, uh, or, you know, a greeting card or something like that. So a, a couple of times when we actually had people within a reasonable, because we have people literally all over the world. So, yeah. um, like we have a, a couple of people in Bahrain, like we're, we're not, most of us are not sending them a casserole, but we, we have, um, organized, uh, you know, flowers to be sent sometimes a little bit of money. Like we, we heard about, uh, uh, a gal who her, her husband lost his job because he was diagnosed with this like stage four cancer. And right on the heels of that, she discovered she was pregnant and oh and she was in nursing school. And we were like, holy shit, you know, and, uh, and interested. So we actually pulled some money and sent them some money, got them some help, had a night shift nurse hooked up for the first week after her, her daughter was born and, kind of miraculously, like her husband, you know, very dire situation, he, he pulled through and it seems to be doing well. Uh, so, which is a great happy end, you, you know, so far happy ending to that story, but yeah, absolutely. Like people 
have um, definitely bridged that gap between the virtual and the real. And, and again, very self-organized on that thing. You know, it's like, well, I want to do this and somebody would spearhead it. And then anybody that could would, would, you know, rally some resources around it. And it's been particularly during, during the COVID time where, where we didn't, you know, depending on where you were, you might be, you know, really sequestered away from people, very minimal, you know, legit human interaction. It was quite a lifeline for a lot of folks. A lot of our Canadian folks were really like, this place is the the anchor of my my sanity because they had such uh, comparatively, uh, you know, stringent standards that they had to adhere to uh, with, with travel, with interacting with family and stuff like that. That That sounds like real community to me. What a gift. Yeah. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, it's been cool. It's been very gratifying. Yeah. Now you, you are a natural community leader. You've done it a number of times, but it sounds to me like some people inside the community have emerged as temporary leaders from time to time. Can you tell me what is it that makes a good community leader? And, and especially when it's a temporary leader, that's really exciting. Somebody who, who rises. Well, you, you know, I mean, yeah. Uh, usually these folks have some degree of kind of subject matter expertise. Mm-hmm. You know, they're able to comment on many or at least some topics that are, that are interesting, you know, and in our situation, you know, it's sleep and nutrition, physical training. Um, and then we have this whole kind of uh, resiliency section where, people talk about homesteading and solar power and wind and, you know, getting off grid. And so because of the breadth and depth of, of what is offered there, you know, gardening, um, uh, kind of subject matter leaders have been able to emerge, you know, they will, people will ask a question or people will proactively say, Hey, I, I read this article on this thing, or maybe they write their original content on something. And, um, so I, again, in this very, uh, organic and, you know, uh, self-organized, definitely not top down, like, like grassroots, mm-hmm. up, uh, these leaders just kind of emerge and then we'll usually do something like, Hey, um, you're not getting paid. There's no extra bonuses, but we'd like to make you a moderator. So you have even more, um, you know, <laughs> responsibility around whatever it is that you're already doing. And people are like, yeah, and they will step up and, and take that additional responsibility. So I'm not sure what the specific characteristics are there, but certainly a willingness to share. And then, um, a ton of emotional intelligence. And it, it, it's not that these people are uniformly like, a uh, folks that would roll over during conflict, but, Whereas we, we have some other folks that they will um, stoke the fires of conflict immediately and and just, you know, get get that thing going. And I don't know, maybe that's a within game theoretics, there's probably some need for a certain number of people to to be like that. I think if you get too many of them, the, the whole thing burns down. But um, these other folks just well, have a, a remarkable degree of, of isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you need just enough disruptive shit going on there to not let things ossify and get too Pollyanna-ish or something, you know? Yeah. Um, but the, these other folks, they're, they're good at like acknowledging what's going on. And maybe if somebody needs a little bit of tough love, they get some tough love, but it, it's done in a way that's not judgmental, but it's honest. It's like, Hey, if you're fucking up, then 
if you want to change, then you gotta, you gotta change, you know, whether it's nutrition or your, your health, so you can be a better parent or, or whatever. There's ways of acknowledging that, yeah, this is a hard situation you're in, but you got to change it. Like you're, you're saying you want to change. So what can we do to help you change? We have these resets, we have this, we have that. What else can we, we do to support you there? And it, but that is different than just kind of burning people down or just ignoring them in, entirely. So definitely, uh, a willingness to put themselves out there, uh, some, some deep emotional, um, intelligence, uh, within that emotional intelligence is, is this interesting combination of being able to acknowledge where folks are that, that maybe things are difficult, but also like, you know, if change needs to happen, then let's do it. Like, like, let's figure out what the impediments are and, and let's get through this and get you to a better spot. Yeah. So it's not just codependency facilitating the continuation of bad behavior, you know, that it is not that for sure. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you put that in there. So, um, I, I'm hearing, um, one awesome that leaders are emerging and that you're encouraging that. Uh, I, I think that's probably an element of community. Maybe, maybe I, I'm going to have to play with that. I like it. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing that uh, a, a leader needs to have some relevant subject matter expertise to a project. Um, I'm hearing that they have to be willing and able to be a spearhead for that project. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're capable of doing project management. What it means is that they're capable of and and interested in continuing to drive that project forward. So let's mm -hmm. move forward. What's holding us back? Let's move forward. What's stopping us? Let's move forward. How do we get over the next hump? Let's move forward because, because I care. Uh, right. I'm also hearing really strong common heart, Philotimo, that fifth element, um, that, that they, they care about every single person that's there. Um, and so when they're giving uh, criticism, right, critical feedback, an, an opportunity for that person to grow. They're giving it to them from the perspective of I care, not just I care because I'm a leader, but I actually care. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have fun thinking about the idea of, um, leadership emerging as, as, as a core to community. And, and not even necessarily permanent leadership, just temporary leadership. A, a, a project needs to happen and somebody instigates it, right? So you were talking about people who are instigators and somebody chooses to be a leader and self-elects and, and, you know, maybe the group makes other decisions afterwards, but there has to be someone who kicks that off and self-elects into it. Cool. Yeah. And I, I've, I've throw this out to you. I've wondered about the scale of stuff like this. Like when we launched this thing, I was kind of wondering if, um, we would hit like a Dunbar's number type of, of thing, you know, 150 people. Is that where this thing is stable? What we've noticed is, is, um, about 1100 people, 10, you know, 1100, uh, if it gets much larger than that, then you see this just dramatic increase in churn. You know, like people are in, they're out. I think that they become anonymatized. Um, 
So th that's an interesting thing because it is largely virtual. You would think, well, this thing could scale infinitely. You know, I mean, Facebook has however many billion, you know, uh, people in it. But um, to really tick that box of, of community, this thing feels much more like a small town than any type of city. And and I, I, I'm not sure, like my, my reach is okay. My podcast is still reasonably popular and stuff like that. It's it, not Joe Rogan level by any means, but <laughs> I doubt that we could do the things that we do if it was even... 5,000 or 10,000 members. And I, I could be wrong. Like there might be some other communities out there that maybe they just have some, some other um, self-organizing elements to it. So it, it keeps people uh, tight, but it, I actually, we ended up capping enrollment at about 1100 people because the, the, the churn just started going and I'm like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, how is this really helping things? If, if it's just kicking people out the back end, even, even faster, I'd rather have 800 people that are here for the long haul and just call it good. And we all are able to go deep on this thing. So, uh, no answers on that. Just actually a lot of questions around like what, what, um, what does scale mean in a, a kind of virtual 90 eight percent virtual two percent in real life community like like what we have there hmm. i have some thoughts i but like you they're just they're just thoughts um the average person is capable of really knowing 150 people um the average tribe size tribe being different from the number of people you know tribe being the people that you can count on to step up on your shoulder pick up a spear and go to war with you because they trust you right the average tribe size is really five to 10. So if, mm. if we mm. look at five to 10 and 150, um, somewhere in that range, that kind of makes sense that 800 to 1100 is, is the, is the, the magic number where you can sort of wrap your mind around that, that my, my seven tribe right. people, they each have 150 people. That's a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just is, it, I have nothing, um, pure gut deal, but when, when CrossFit was growing, I remember, well, I was there when there was one gym because I was in the first gym and then I was in the fourth, you, you know, affiliate gym. So I saw it all grow. And when it was about 1200 to 2000 gyms, it was awesome. Awesome because we would get together for these affiliate gatherings and it was big enough that it was really interesting and vibrant and oh, just amazing, interesting people. Always somebody new to meet, always something new to learn. But then when it started getting to 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, it, it lost uh, the intimacy there. You know, it was mm -hmm. cool. Okay, this is great. I'm part of this, this big thing. But I, I had oftentimes uh, looked, not lamented, but commented that this thing could have potentially been a really nice carrying capacity at like 2000 gyms. Mm -hmm. There would have always been enough newness that you'd have somebody, new speaker, new perspective, you know, and it, and it could have been a really fascinating thing to, to see where it is. And now that CrossFit is, has kind of done its, you know, it's, it's in its uh, kind of contraction. It'll be interesting to see where it contracts to where it's uh, carrying capacity is. And it would be super interesting if uh, over the long haul, it's like 2000 gyms in the U S 2000 in Europe, Asia, you know, something like that. That, that would, would be, really be super interesting. <laughs> 
Yeah. 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 Very cool. What a fun idea. And, and, uh, and, and again, like you, I have no idea, but it's, it's fun to think about the idea of Dunbar's number plus tribe equals a thousand, fifteen hundred, maybe. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 Interesting. Very cool. Um, is there an, one specific of the elements of community that you'd like to talk about? How it particularly shows up in your community, the Healthy Rebellion, how it how it makes you stronger, how it really grows and creates a life of its own? You know, I I was super fortunate to be part of the... Uh, this thing that was an outgrowth of naval special warfare. And this was back around 2008 through about 2014. And I, I was on the naval special warfare resiliency committee. And Mm. so they're trying to build resiliency within the seal teams, the special boat teams that support the seals. And then in particular, the families of these, these folks that have these incredibly demanding jobs, you know, I mean, they, they could be deployed six to nine months out of the year. The three to six months that these guys are home, they're training most of the time and a very, very stressful on the families. And so I remember, and I might, I might have one of the guides around here. I'll grab it if we pause here in a second, but in the, the, the front end of this thing, it had the physics equation for resilience and it's all these integrals and it's rather complex, but resilience is this thing that if you stress a system, it comes back stronger as a consequence. It's not just, um, a rock. It's not just an armored personnel carrier. You know, those things are strong, but they don't, aren't necessarily made better from stress and, and challenge. Yeah. Whereas, you know, economies are made better, communities ostensibly are, are made better with, with that. And so this, this idea of resilience was something that I tried to weave into um, early, early in, into the, the Healthy Rebellion. And, you, you know, and again, we, we launched that um, about six months before COVID. And one thing that was interesting about as, as like COVID kind of started ramping up is we sat down and we're like, okay, what are some of the things that could happen here? We could have some economic problems. We could have supply chain issues. Like we're actually pretty prescient about some stuff. Maybe you get some food on hand. Maybe you do this, maybe you do that. But most importantly, we need to just psychologically recognize that the world is going to change, Mm -hmm. period. Like full stop. We don't know what that means. It could be really good, could be really bad. It'll probably, you know, be a mix of- That's stupid. The world is both change. (laughs) and uh and you know what what people reported was and what we kind of noticed was that the it it this is an interesting thing is that the folks in that that community were adaptable in a way that the folks around them were not and it almost made them stand out in a way Hmm. It, it, and it, it, and it, you could see them kind of try to throw a lifeline sometimes to friends, family, but they, they, they didn't get it because they hadn't been part of this thing. And maybe they didn't have the, the acculturation of the language, like that common language and, and all that type of stuff. But, um, just knowing that things were up in the air, that things were going to change when they did change there wasn't that paralysis that I, I noticed among folks that didn't have something like this, that didn't have that kind of resiliency 
mindset where it's like, okay, yeah, I, I know that there could be supply chain issues. And so we, if I have a business that's dependent on legitimate stuff, like maybe I should stockpile a year of, you, you know, my, my important stuff that goes into my, my particular supply chain and, and things like that. And folks really navigated that, that the last couple of years comparatively well, I think, because of that resilience mindset, that idea that like, I'm going to take this stress that I'm experiencing today. I'm going to figure out a way to turn that into a growth proposition. And then I'm going to come back stronger as a consequence of it versus getting caught flat footed and being in that, you, you know, the stages of grief, you know, anger and, you know, five, uh, which would oftentimes seem to take people down at the kneecaps and they might be weeks or months later that they would finally be like, okay, I've got my head screwed back on and I recognize that the world has changed. But there was this big catch-up process versus people that had this resilience mindset that I we were able to foster in, in the Healthy Rebellion. It, it, the processing was super quick. And I think that that's because everybody was kind of, you, you had support, you had people using a common language around this stuff. They, they had the, they cared about each other. So you knew that somebody had your back and, uh, some capacity, um, but just being aware that there there was that potential that things could really spin on a dime and change. Like I would say that that's probably been the most profound piece to the to the community and and what people have reported being the the biggest um, benefit and takeaway that they've had is that they've just been able to roll with the punches in a way that that folks outside of that community they just watch them and like God they're really suffering and they're like I'm suffering. Don't get me wrong, like I'm suffering, but the people around me are really suffering and, and, uh, in a degree that was just a, a stark contrast between in that group and outside the group. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so community, one of the benefits of true community is resilience. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, three things. <laughs> it's funny that you, you raised the idea of, uh, the military, because when I talk about common language, one of the places that I go that people can yep. really wrap their head around common language is the military. That um, in order for me to be efficient and effective when when I'm a group of six or eight and we're attacking a specific thing, you need to understand that when when one person goes like this and like that, it it has a very specific meaning. And then we go like this and we go like that. And it has like that is a language. It's a common language. It's a unique language that that works because of that group, because of that community. Um, so that's that's one is that I, I'm glad you, you went to military because it's one of the places I like to go when I talk about language. Um, two, um, yeah. and this is sort of top of mind for me because it came up today. Um, the idea of resilience is it, it's a really powerful one. They're, they're, this is sort of two and three combined. Um, somebody said to me, and, and we've all heard it, blood is thicker than water. Um, and I'd like to point out to those of you who don't know this, the, the phrase blood is thicker than water is actually a 100% misinterpretation. <laughs> you're, you, when you say that, you're probably using it wrong. It's a, it's a shortened um, phrase from the quote, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb, which literally means when we as a group are tried, when we are tried by battle, when we are tried by the tribulations that come to us as a group, and it creates a community inside our tribe, when we are tried, 
we come together stronger than if we were born together. The blood of the covenant is thicker mm, than the water. It is, it is literally the opposite of the way it's used. It is. Yeah. It's yeah. actually the opposite of how it's used. Um, and it, it's very cool because then you look at the other version of this. How else do people notice that they come together through trial? Um, and one of the ways that I really like to think about this is some of the, the few really powerful surviving practices of indigenous people. Um, one of the ones that I really find valuable is uh, doing doing uh, saunas. And the way that mm-hmm. they do mm-hmm. their sweat tents is, is a, it is a trial. It is um, very powerfully challenging. And what you find is that when you do that together as a group, you go in as a group, you come out as a community, you are tight. You are the blood of the covenant on the other side of that because you've gone through a really, really powerful challenge. Mm-hmm. You want to add to that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I don't think I, I could add too much to it. I mean, uh, uh, Greg Glassman, founder of CrossFit, noticed this that the um, the trials of very hard physical activity brought brought people together in this really rapid fashion, and it, it, it's again, you know. Uh, uh, the beginning of, of becoming a seal, you have this, uh, buds and, uh, hell week, which is the, you know, this one week of virtually no sleep, very, very minimal sleep and constant physical and psychological harassment being doused in cold water and rolled in sand and every manner of discomfort you could, you could imagine. And, uh, cup of coffee and a warm food right up the hill. You just got to ring a bell and, 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 it, you know, all is, all is good. And they, they virtually beg and encourage you to, to do that, you know, and they have a shockingly high attrition rate at, at this point, every spot it, it, it's, um, it's something like 200% less likely that you will get a Navy steel spot than you will a professional football spot which, you know, historically has been one of these like super elite kind of, kind of things, but the, wow. the notoriety of these seals has, has increased the application pool to such a degree that it's, um, it, it, the average applicant is a master's degree engineering from an Ivy league school, not all, but that, that's like, they have some that are not, but like the, uh, the quality of people applying, you know, like division one wrestler on and on and on and on, you know, just to, just to get their foot in the front door. And most of them don't make it still. It's really amazing. But when they come out that uh, the next side of that crucible, it's really remarkable, the camaraderie they have. And this is, you know, an interesting thing when folks are done with the teams, um, and things like that, they often find that the rest of their life is pretty blasé. <laughs> they never have that degree of having the five people that would literally have your your back at, at any circumstance. Um, folks love their families. They they uh, you know they're they're invested in their community and everything. But the intimacy that they had in that that becoming these elite war fighters, there's nothing else that ever spins the dopamine wheel quite the same way that they did in, in that scenario, the same degree of trust, the same degree of commitment. It's really interesting. And it, it, uh, uh, and I know I'm jabbering like an idiot, but, uh, uh, there was some analysis of seals after they're (laughs) jabbering like something, but, um, I, I do think it is interesting. There's this disproportionate success that, that former seals have. And I, again, is a, 
Is it because they were just kind of born this way? Is it because they were born this way and they got honed through this process? But um, the net worth of of these seals, there's some astronomical percentage of them that are worth more than two hundred million dollars. But then there's this um, there's this non-trivial cross section of them that have just fallen off the map, mm. effectively homeless or like you know have just gone out of the, you know, they're, they're no longer really participating in, in the normal society that, that you and I are, are partaking in. There's very few that just go back and live just an, an average normal life, you know, it, it, and, uh, uh, so there's some, that's a whole, I, again, no, no answers, but just questions, you know, it's like, uh, is the hyper fealty of a particular type of community is, is that, so powerful that then the rest of life just becomes so boring and blase that you're not even really sure how to, how to deal with it afterwards. It, it, that's a whole interesting thing. But you don't lose your, you know, your brothers and sisters, like you don't, you don't lose your tribe when you leave. They're, they're still your tribe. They're still going to but it's, they'll show up. Well, and, and you know, what a lot of these folks end up doing is starting businesses together and stuff like that. And that, it, that is a lot of what they end up doing in like the next iteration of their life is they're like, well, I'm not just going to go get a standard job or, you know, work for corporate America. I'm going to do something different. And, and that is a lot of what they do. Yeah. Mm. And, and how much more powerful can a business be when you know, you don't have to question it's a hundred percent core knowledge that the the person in the other room is acting as you would the person in that other room is acting as you would um how much more powerful is right. it you've got six or seven people that are independently hive mind <laughs> right 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 yeah yeah i i get the 200 millionaire thing like that i get um and on the other side you know homestead and i get that too mhm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Rob, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a lot more fun for me than, than maybe was obvious. I, I don't think that what you were doing was jabbering. Um, okay. Okay. Before I ask you where people can find you, I'm going to tell them a little bit about my experience of you. Um, I've, I've purchased every one of the books that you've written. So to call me a super fan is appropriate. Um, I've experienced element. I am not paid to say this. Um, I, I paid. I paid to say this. I have experienced element. Your, your product. Your current product. Um, when you, when I first consumed uh, water with element in it, it felt to me like somebody was turning my brain on. It, it, it was, it was absolutely extraordinary. Again, I'm not a plant. You have not paid me for this. Um, it it felt to me like um, I'd been missing something in my life and drinking that water with element in it um, fulfilled what was missing. It, it, it created, uh, it turned on the synapses. It created more capacity for me to be me. It was, um, it was stunning that, uh, that salt, <laughs> I mean, what you, what you provide isn't just salt, but it's, it was stunning to me that somebody who pays attention to their diet and their body and has been in the paleo community for so long, me, um, putting, putting the right electrolytes into my water could make that much of a difference to me. It, it absolutely knocked my socks off truly. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, 
would you like to tell it, the audience? It, it did me too. <laughs> you too, really? I, I, I mean, it, it, it made, this is probably where you're leading it, a little bit of the Genesis story, but I had been mucking around with this, you know, ancestral eating, um, never afraid of salt, like would salt my food vigorously. Like it had reviewed the literature on like hypertension and stuff. I'm like, oh, salts, sodium isn't the problem. Hyperten hypertension is driven from insulin resistance and all this stuff. But I, I didn't appreciate just particularly with the activity level that I had, how much electrolytes and sodium that I really needed. And I, I found some folks that were really operating at a high level with this stuff. I had them review what I was doing. And they were like, your protein, carbs, fat are great, but you probably need more salt. And it took me a long time to really listen to them. And then they did something crazy. They're like, why don't you weigh and measure everything that you're consuming? Like put it in chronometer, this, this app for documenting your food. And we'd like to see you at like five grams of sodium per day. And I was at less than two grams of sodium per day. And they're Whoa. like, oh, okay, we'll check this out go get some pickle juice. Do you like pickle juice? I'm like, yeah, I love pickle juice. They're like, okay, get like six ounces of pickle juice, shoot that down. That's going to be about two grams of, of uh, sodium and do that 20 minutes before a workout. And I did it and it was just crazy. I'm like, I, I had a pump for like the first time in like 10 years eating low carb. It's kind of hard to get a pump when you're, you're, you're doing physical training mm -hmm. and uh, have historically kind of dragged ass at jujitsu and stuff like that. And so I was like, guys, like this electrolyte thing is huge. And they're like, yeah, we've been doing this for a long time. You know, these, these folks are really good at, at the coaching of this stuff. So we developed a free downloadable guide to make your own homebrew. It was like this much table salt, this much uh, no salt, which is potassium chloride, some um, magnesium citrate, lemon juice, stevia, water, shake it up and go. And it was I, when I looked at the community that I serve, the group of people that I serve, I was like, 95% of the problems people have is probably insufficient sodium and electrolytes. I, I was just mind blown. So we posted this, this free downloadable guide. It wasn't a lead magnet. It, there, there was, you didn't need to give us an email. It was just like, take this thing. And within like six months, we had a half million downloads of this thing between my community and, and the other folks that I was working with. And what we started hearing was very much what you reported. This was like the missing piece to what I, I've been doing. My energy levels were better. My recovery from exercise was better. My heart rate variability scores dramatically improved. My sleep improved. But the one downside is that when you take uh, when you mix it at home, when you're traveling, the TSA doesn't like the three bags of white powder. And so <laughs> would you guys consider making like some sort of a, a convenience thing. And so we had no designs on like starting element. It was completely this freemium thing that I was just like, oh my God, I've failed people for 20 years, not properly emphasizing salt and, and sodium and electrolytes. And so I've got to fix that as quickly as I can. And then it was the community that told us, hey, we need something simpler and easier and more direct than this, this homebrew gig. And so that was the whole genesis of Element. And we still, to this day, one of our primary landing pages is like, if you don't want to buy it, it, at least make it. And here's exactly the ratio for how to do it. So you get something that is, is virtually identical to what we sell you. And um, it's been really cool because, the, the again, this was a 
relationship that drove this whole thing. It was my recognition that like, oh my God, I haven't been properly serving these folks and I've got to fix this. And then I did a good job fixing it with that free downloadable guide. It's like, please, for the love of God, like do this, try this pickle juice, you know, this thing, whatever. And then when people started fixing stuff, it, the the feedback loop is so quick when you are electrolyte deficient that if you're feeling kind of off and you drink some, like five minutes later, you feel better. Oh, like yeah. It's very quick where, it's where you know, how, how quickly the electrolytes Amazing. go in. Yeah. And so then that just built trust. And then part of that trust was like, well, I'm going to tell you that I want a convenient product, you know, and if you guys did it, I would buy it. And people have, I, I think an element is like the, the first or second fastest growing company in like the wellness space right now. Like it has just gone like crazy. And it, I, I told our, our co-founders that this thing would probably either be like a plane into a mountainside or it would go to a moon. It, it wouldn't be anywhere in between because it really is addressing a need. And I think we addressed it in a way that historically hasn't been done because I really wasn't afraid of the sodium and, and understood the physiology in a way that it's like, no, we really need to lean into that and have a nutrient dense whole food diet in the background. You can't just supplement your way to, to good health. Um, and the whole thing has been really remarkably successful and a ton of fun. And like, I, I just still, when I hear stories, like you relate, like I grin so hard, my head nearly falls off the, <laughs> the back of my head because it, it's just like, man, that's really awesome because it is such a simple thing, but yet such an overlooked thing in, in you know, our current you know, where we are with everything. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that to the market. And I travel a lot and you're a hundred percent right. Uh, little baggies of white powder probably would not go over well, but um, the little individual packets that you send out, nobody even blinks an eye at that. Right. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm in, I'm in Seattle right now. Um, some of my listeners know I, I, one of my clients is the Pokemon company. I'm, I'm here in Seattle at the Pokemon company. I, I had to travel here with, with, uh, with element and, uh, nobody blinked an eye. I passed it right through security. Not an issue. I didn't even have to check that bag. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yep. So yeah. Thank you. Um, where can people find you? Those who don't already know. Uh, robwolf.com is kind of the main, ma main spot. I, I have a, a very poorly, updated Substack, uh, robwolf.substack.com. I haven't done anything in a couple of months, but I have like three pretty good articles that I've been working on over the past couple of weeks and folks should, should see that popping up. And then I do a lot of writing over at element drink And we have a very active, uh, blog and kind of scientific resource over there, but that's where pretty much everything that, that I do, if it sees the light of day, it's on one or all of those locations. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Um, elements of community audience, go check out drinkelement.com. L-M-N-T, drinkelement.com. Thank you, Rob. Um, and we are signing off. Thank you for joining us this week on Elements of Community. Make sure to visit our website, elementsofcommunity.us, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our EOC Inner Circle. 
where we deep dive with each guest on the inner workings of their community. We cover things like community model, profitability, and engagement strategies. You can join the inner circle at elementsofcommunity.us forward slash inner circle. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you.